1: He is the Director of Social Services at the Salvation Army Central Arkansas. And good morning, Matt.
2: Good morning, my friends. I don't deserve that uh, cool title, but I appreciate <laughs> it.
1: Hey, you you live up to all the all the good that we say you're doing here in the state. We really do appreciate the Salvation Army uh, for what it does in, uh, in helping those that are the least fortunate among us.
2: Yeah, well, it's an honor to be able to do it. I'm just glad to get the opportunity to tell people, just a small glimpse of what we're doing,
1: well, you know matt uh arkansas uh by the number sixteen percent in poverty twenty six percent child poverty, and you know we we've, we've nearly that would put us at what one in ten one in four on children, one in ten on you know general population that are in poverty. And Salvation Army works with those that aren't just in poverty, but some of the but those that are in homelessness situations. And uh, so, what what's the state of of homelessness in here in Arkansas? Because affordable affordable housing is a big issue, and we're trying to wrap our heads around how to solve that. But give us the state of the problem from your perspective.
2: Well, I mean, number one, it's just. It's heartbreaking, you know, every day when I go into work, just having that mindset of, you know, we're here to serve, we're here to accomplish a mission through, you know, the lens of our Christian perspective of we want to help those that are the least of these and do it in a way that is caring and loving and trying to build that relationship. But I would say the the fact of the matter is, is it's getting worse. And the problem is, is that you said it's twofold. There's not enough options for resources. And the three pieces of housing that you need to line up normally don't line up. You need it to be safe, affordable, and adequate. And most of the time, the individuals that we serve, if they do find housing, they find one of three on that list. And when your state's director of housing and neighborhood programs says that Little Rock doesn't have enough of that, knows it's a problem. So we really need to start banding people together, using our coalitions and our continuum of care to make sure we get the right people to the table to start moving these initiatives forward.
1: Right. And so if someone comes to the Salvation Army, walk me through that process. You know, when someone's showing up, what what, what kind of person are we seeing? What kind of problems are they having? And then what does Salvation Army do to try to help make them, make them whole?
2: Yeah, so we've got a couple just of our major arms of the Salvation Army and social services where we serve those that are the most vulnerable. So number one is our homeless prevention services. So... My boss, Major Bill Mockaby, always says that he would love to live in this arena because it wouldn't be serving people who actually experience homelessness. So what we do there is we provide up to $500,000 a year in rent and utility assistance. And what we do with our rent and utility assistance program is just make sure we do strong, intensive case management and address the root causes of the issue. And then another big piece is we provide food pantry provision. It's a client choice model. Where we make sure that the boxes are healthy but they're also practical for each individual living situation because some people may not have a stove a working refrigerator you know pantry space may be limited so what do we do to give you what you need to be successful with this food in your home and then the other big piece that most people know as for is providing shelter so we serve single women and families and families can mean anything uh, it doesn't just have to be a nuclear family with children we want to serve everybody that considers himself to be a family mm-hmm. and we walked it we walked them through our road to sustainability program they make progressive moves throughout the shelter to get more responsibility and we asked them to engage in what we call five transformational platforms and this is where the root of some of the issues come so mental health physical health career and workforce development life skills and then obviously being the Salvation Army that spiritual health is vitally important but there's just a, a litany of needs, and we could write a dissertation on that. You know, years of chronic homelessness, trauma, abuse, divorce, um, mental health, physical health limitations, lack of education. And even if they do make a wage, they're not even able to do some of these basic living activities like paying rent, paying bills, because their money doesn't stretch far at all. So each individual person looks completely different. And I think we need to start telling the story of each of those individual people and how they are different and how the needs are completely different and they're expansive.
3: Mm. Hey, Matthew, it's J.D. Uh, question for you. It sounds like you're dealing with the needs of the whole person. You're you're, you're finding that person where they are or, or they're finding y'all, and uh, you're having to deal with the needs of the whole person and get them back to a place of self-sustainability uh, and Uh, so that's that's what I'm hearing
2: yeah absolutely a holistic approach you know and I you know we just take each of our individual stories you know each of us though we have you know great positions in the organizations we work for the story to get there is completely different so you know just making sure that like homelessness or near homelessness we just don't put that title on them automatically you know tell us your story how did you get here how can we help you what are the root causes that led you here what are your goals what are your objectives And really, how can we help assist and guide you in that? But we want it to be driven by the person, because Mm. if it's driven by us at the Salvation Army, it's just going to be a caseworker solving that problem, or Matthew solving that problem. We want it to be you, and we want to empower you and motivate you to do that.
1: Right. It's a personal responsibility is a highlight of the Salvation Army's Mm -hmm. approach to moving someone to sustainability in their Mm -hmm. own lives. Absolutely. That that's that's awesome. I love that you look for root causes that uh, keep individuals from being able to have that self-sustaining autonomy that they need. Um, You know, it's it was interesting to me. I was doing a little research and I looked at what. Homelessness looked like in our state, and I was just doing quick Google searches, and the numbers looked really low comparative to what I'm hearing around the state in terms of the homeless counts. You know, I've heard you sp- speak about this before that uh, a lot of times those surveys are done and that they're significantly incomplete. Um, you know, can you expound a little bit of, on that? Because sometimes these numbers are used to justify, uh, you know, programming. Uh, to to say, well, not many people need this, et cetera, et cetera. So, from your perspective, you know what what are we really looking at in in real numbers, or in, in as close as we can get to estimates on homelessness in Arkansas?
2: Yeah, you bring up some great points here, and I, and I don't mean to call out programs and things are established by the federal government as part of this but you know part of the issue is is that uh, an organization that I chair called catch which is the continuum of care for central Arkansas and I'll explain what that means a little bit in a minute but they're tasked with conducting the annual point in time count so they basically take teams of people and this is the count that's going to be the official count to show the number of homeless people living in our area So they take teams of people, and they'll be stationed at different places around central Arkansas, and they'll just stand it like this year I stood at a gas station and just waited for people who are homeless to come talk to me. Well, if that's your full count for the number of homeless people, you could see some issues with that. So what are we missing? Well, we're missing those people who can't be found or don't want to be found. We're missing people who are couch surfing. We're missing people that are living in their cars. We're missing people that just, you know, they may not see the true face of homelessness, but they are considered homelessness by definition. So it's totally incomplete because, I mean, we're talking about this large geographical area of central Arkansas, and you've got 10 or 12 teams in Little Rock and North Little Rock trying to count all the people. It just doesn't make any sense to me, and there needs to be some wholesale changes to get the real number so we can get more funding here to central Arkansas.
1: Yeah, very, very much so. You know, I, you got to, you got to know what the size of the problem is. Uh, so these are some very, very valid points. Uh, we just got a couple more minutes until the break, and I definitely want to hold you through until, um, till eight o'clock. Uh, but uh, how can those that are interested in supporting the Salvation Army and their mission? How can they get in contact with you all or provide donations?
2: Absolutely. That's you know. We're always looking for that. So I would say it always starts with a phone call. You can call us at our office at 501-374-9296. You can shoot me an email at my incredibly long email, (laughs) (laughs) matthew.desalvo at uss.salvationarmy.org. The big things that we're always looking for is obviously volunteers to work directly with the people that we serve in our shelter and in our homeless prevention programs, packing food boxes, leading a class, serving a meal those type of things
4: mm-hmm. and
2: donation and donations we just desperately need them because since covid and with the economy changing uh, we just haven't been getting as much so always needing non-perishable food donations always needing monetary support to help run our programs but big thing we're looking for too is uh, you know basic hygiene items you know deodorants and shampoos and those kinds of things to support the need because you know we really want to teach hygiene and how important it is and you know, to be presentable when you go out to a job interview or you go to Social Security. So that's another thing, too, that's a part of self-sufficiency. But those are the best ways to get a hold, a call, an email, ask for Matthew, or our case management team can help you and point you in the right direction.
1: Wonderful. Because, you know, just like inflation impacts the, you know, the average citizen, it impacts the, the poorest among us even more so. They're not able to buy as much food or or clothing or shelter with mm-hmm. their dollars and then on top of that those that normally would generously give are impacted and that probably makes their donations even less so perfect storm but we'll be yeah. back again with matt DeSalvo of the salvation army and you're listening to 101.1 the answer good morning everyone again ryan norris sitting in with jason mcgee uh, filling in for Dave Ellswick. Again, shoes so big, we had to bring two of us today. Uh, <laughs> and I don't want to wear that joke out, but it is the literal truth. It took two two of our brains to equal one of Dave's. <laughs> and again, hope Dave's doing wonderful and well. We are with uh, Matthew DeSalvo with the Salvation Army and also uh, heading up the Central Arkansas Team Care for the Homeless. You know, homelessness is a, is a problem here in our state that we need to address. And Matt, you know, Central Arkansas Team Care for the Homeless, what is it and what does it do? And then also follow up with how can we all help?
2: Yeah, so I don't want to get too far into the weeds because, once again, it's a federal government mandate, so I won't bore people with all the details. But essentially what it is is it's a group of nonprofit organizations that support homelessness that are responsible for a few things. Number one is the HUD funding and the HUD requirements of all the money that comes in, figuring out how to spend it how to allocate it and then monitoring those programs. That's the big one, and that's sort of the design of it. But another piece kind of twofold is uh, is create just a forum for individuals and organizations to get together to help just solve homelessness, talk about programs, talk about issues, uh, bring other agencies and individuals and folks that are interested in helping folks in this area move forward. And then, like I said earlier, another big piece is to conduct that PIT count. So, obviously, that's huge because we need more people to be a part of that. But those are kind of the three main functions, the HUD requirements, uh, the meetings and the public forums, uh, then doing the PIT count. But we're working on some endeavors now where we're doing some more advocacy work to really speak to the real needs of these individuals and how legislators and policymakers can get behind these folks, the most vulnerable in our area, to help move them forward forward. Uh, just because the system right now, I would say, is so broken. And because it's so broken, we really need everybody to come to the table at these catch meetings, which occur on the third Friday of every month virtually at 9 a.m., and really come here and just support the work that's being done and band together to do it together because we've been operating in silos for so long. I just don't think we're now at a crossroads um you know, we need to start moving forward at such a crossroads that I don't think if we come together, I don't think anything is gonna get done and the status quo is gonna to continue to be accepted for these most vulnerable people and that just needs to end immediately.
1: Well I really appreciate Matt that you're kind you're taking a leadership role in this because in from an Americans for prosperity perspective, the greatest solutions happen when when everyone within the scope of their, their role, government, business Education and community work together on a solution. Uh, it takes a lift by all of those within, the, again, the scope of their role. Government shouldn't be doing everything. Community needs to be doing some more. Business could be doing some more. And, you know, even on the education sides, we could be doing some more. But you're helping with, through catch to put all that together, and I think the solution is going to be a superior one than individuals trying to come up inside, you know, with those within silos.
2: Yeah, and, I, and I'll just be honest for a minute, and I think part of the problem is is that the folks that we're serving through CATCH, you know, the homeless and near-homeless population, it's a voiceless population. You know, they are – it's one of those that's, like, you know, not seen, not heard, and if I don't see them and don't hear them, it's not a problem, but we need to give a base, a face and a voice to this problem, and we need to tell people the plight of those that are experiencing homelessness and near-homelessness and the fact that, like, the systems are so broken – In order for them to get help, it's incredibly difficult. And then another thing, too, is once they start to move forward and they start making some progress, it's one slip. They're all the way back down the mountain. And these barriers and these things that are put in place that end up holding them back, they need to change because I love Arkansas. I'm a fifth-generation Arkansan. I'm looking at my young son right now and thinking, what kind of Arkansas is he going to have as he grows up? And right now, I would say we haven't come anywhere close to our full potential. So I'm just passionate about getting people together that are passionate about this issue and just getting them in front of the right people and trying to have the right branding and the right message to reach the leaders in our state to help move these folks forward. Because like you said, those percentages are staggering. Mm -hmm. And they they have got to change, and we've got to do something about it. It takes the right people at the right time and the right places to help that move forward.
1: Well, speaking of that, how can individuals get connected to the Salvation Army and or to Catch?
2: Yeah, so uh, Salvation Army, obviously we'd love to have anyone and everyone that's interested in serving directly to make an impact of those we serve that come in our doors. So um, SalvationArmyCentralArkansas.org is our website. We've got a bunch of different resources on there that kind of explains what we're doing and how you can get involved. Uh, feel free to give us a call at 501-374-9296 and ask for Matthew, and we'll find ways to get you involved. Uh, Big thing that we're looking for now, kind of threefold, we're looking for food to support our food pantry because that need, I think our food boxes have tripled over the last year now. Uh, We're just inundated all the time, and it keeps the caseworker that's working on that super busy, so we always need help with that with food and with um, volunteer hours. Uh, we need you know people to serve as volunteers to help serve directly those homeless needs, uh, looking for people, mentors, for people to teach life skill classes, and then also just getting involved in our community breakfast. Wonderful. A big are way, big ways to get involved. And then with Catch, um, it's catcharkansas.org is the website. Um, there's a little tab on there uh, where it says member agencies. Um And you can go there, and you can fill out an interest form, and you can start the process to start getting involved. That way we have some paperwork. Because it is a HUD program, so there's a lot of different rules and requirements. But anyone and everyone that's interested in serving in homelessness can come to the table, come to the meetings, you know, provide their expertise, advice, and their input, and we can work towards becoming a board member. Like I said, just because it's a federally funded.
5: And uh, over 12,000 are in families that... Uh, have some kind of stress uh, coming mm-hmm. on them, some financial or, or other types of stress where they uh, need some help from the state to stabilize. And so that's 20,000 children a year that uh, come to a point in their life where they need, you know, help uh, within mm-hmm. their family. Mm-hmm. And so that was kind of the undergirdings of why Every Child Arkansas ultimately started. We really began talking about this two years ago and looking at what the needs were in the state. At the end of November of mm-hmm. 2021, Misha Martin, who uh, was the director of the Division of Children and Family Services, mm-hmm. she's now the deputy director of the Department of Human Services and acting director of DCFS for the time being. But she met with us at the end of November and just kind of laid out some of the challenges That exist in the state in regards to foster care focused a lot at that point on Pulaski County, which was having some real tough times. Very high turnover rate Mm -hmm. in the workers, over 100 percent turnover rate in 2021. Which anybody that's been involved in an organization or a business or whatever (laughs) know that you can't run a business with with 100 percent of your employees turning over at some point in the year, and then. Really, the way we describe it is that there's just not enough. That that term, not enough, you hear a lot in foster care Mm -hmm. world. We don't have enough families. We don't have enough support. We don't have enough resources. And so we've come together as a collective impact movement of people saying we need to work together to solve this problem so we can go from more than enough, from excuse me, from not enough to more than enough. Mm in the child welfare space.
3: What brought you to this passion work? What brought you guys to the the passion work of find it, seeing this issue, looking across the landscape, right, seeing this issue, and then trying to find ways to fix it?
5: Yeah, good question. Jerome, do you want to take that one first? Sure, sure, I'll be
3: happy to. Good morning.
6: Uh, good morning thanks, to thanks again for having us. <laughs> Uh, so personally, I'll share that my, my wife and I have been interested in adoption and foster care for over 17 years. And mm-hmm. um, we volunteered in different states. Uh, I grew up here and uh, we were blessed to have adopted twice, working on our third. And in the process, when I was coming home uh, five years ago to, to come back to my native land, <laughs> <laughs> I, I I looked around and I was praying about how could we scale our effort? Like Doing one child at a time is mm-hmm. is meaningful and important, but it's not at mass for the needs that I saw happening in my state. And uh, honestly, I was meeting with some business people, and they said, hey, yeah. you talk about God and kids a lot. There's a man named Dr. Phil Go who talks about <laughs> God and kids a lot. <laughs> and they literally introduced us. We met for coffee, and I began to be introduced to a number of people that had yeah. the same passion. I mean, it's a calling to understand that we we have a duty to really feed and care for our community because it affects everyone, even ourselves, right? When others go without. So knowing that that calling was there and we had a heart and passion uh, teaming up with Dr. Gold and countless others, honestly, across the state that have been working at this for decades, seeing their passion, the thought was, how could we provide all of our resources and skills? Mm -hmm. Let's come together in a collaborative way and be
3: really efficient to solve this problem. So is that kind of the organization of Every Child Arkansas? Is it kind of a, a bringing everybody mm-hmm. together, creating that network? Just tell me a little bit more about how Every Child Arkansas creates that network and b- brings folks to the table. Mm-hmm.
6: Certainly, it, it, to your point, you, you just perfect word. It is a network of a coalition of agencies, both state, and this is one of the few times you see an, an excellent partnership of state government leadership with private entities, we have 27, I believe now, uh, private agencies that are associated with the group. Businesses, individual, philanthropists, mm-hmm. all are saying the same thing. And the, 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 the amazing thing that's happening now, unlike before, and unlike anything I've seen across the mm-hmm. country, mm-hmm. that's huge, is the fact that we truly have, based on the statistics and Dr. Gold can speak to that. We have the opportunity to truly have more than enough. Mm-hmm. It literally is an issue of making the system efficient, efficient. Um, and everyone participating mm-hmm. in a new way. Mm-hmm. So, so we're we're
3: excited about it, and, and it is part of that process building the capacity uh, to 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 do more work.
5: Yeah, it, it is the when when Jerome mentions more than enough, we. We specifically mean this. We want more than enough foster families okay. so every child can have an ideal placement. And let me come back to ideal placement in a minute and I can lay the kind of what's the state of, of that for us. But more so we have more than enough foster families for every child to have an ideal placement. We want more than enough adoptive families for every child waiting to be adopted. We want more than enough support for biological families who are seeking to stabilize if they're one of those 12,000-plus that are in crisis or to reunify if their children have been removed away, uh, taken away from them for a Mm -hmm. season. So we want to help the bio families have more than enough support for them to stabilize and reunify and then more than enough wraparound support, as we call it, for all of these families so they're not in it alone. Mm -hmm. And I think when we talk a little bit more about some of the things that uh, Jerome leads a part one of our partner organizations, the Contingent. And when he gets in that, well, we could talk about that a little bit more. But we believe that the the answer to foster care is not yes or no. I will or will not foster. Mm-hmm. In fact, the majority of the people that get involved in some way aren't fostering. Right. They're helping those that do. So, right. those wow. those four areas are what we're trying to get to uh, in to get more than enough in the state of arkansas and i'll just i'll just say it right now because we believe it i think we could be the first state mm-hmm. in the country to reach more than enough because we have top down from the governor on down through the dcfs down the ground level organizations that have been working some of them for over a hundred years mm-hmm. in this space have decided that we're going to come together we're going to collaborate together and work together because we're better together well, mm-hmm.
1: you know, you've hit on a couple of things that, are very, that I find very interesting. I've, I've said often that, you know, we haven't maximized the resources that are available because many times good intended organizations or agencies operate in these silos and that there's usually just a lack of vision or a lack of leadership. Now, we are seeing, obviously, from the governor, as you said, on down, and also the leaders within those agencies and within those organizations that they're wanting to come together to say who does what best and let's support each other in this and you know someone who has a great track record who's on uh, on the board if that's if that's what we're calling the executive leadership council mm-hmm. uh Paul Chapman has a great record of bringing groups together mm-hmm. around this when it comes to reentry and foster care through restore hope yes that's uh, right and so there i think you have a dream team of folks including yourselves mm-hmm that are on this, that understand the issue, have a uh, systematic approach, but not just creating systems, but have the compassion to understand what the outcome needs to be. Mm -hmm. And as an Arkansan that's wanting to see my government um, be as efficient on the things that we've given it responsibilities for, but also seeing the community step up, I just think that you're, you're creating that that culmination point at which we're going to see that dream that you're saying having more than enough actually come to to realization i appreciate that from my perspective
5: yeah that that's certainly our hope we we want more than enough our vision is more than enough for children and families before during and beyond foster care in every county in the state of arkansas so we, it's comprehensive. Before foster care, those that are in stress, can we do something to prevent them from coming mm-hmm. in in the first place or help them during foster care while they're there? Can they have the best kind of families to be in, those families that are trained and supported? Uh, for one example, we're wanting to increase the what we call the foster family retention rate. How long do f- families stay in it? And so – We're we're wanting to do that. And then beyond foster care, those kids that age out or those families that get to go back home to Mm -hmm. their biological families, can we support them so that's a stable place for them to live and, and to thrive?
1: Well, if you're just joining us, we are uh, talking about uh, the Every Child Arkansas Initiative kicked off by Governor Sanders. Uh, We have guests here that are experts on this subject matter and are part of this. And uh, we'll be back on the backside of the break to talk even more about foster care and even how you can get involved uh, from whatever – area that you are in the state we want all 75 counties to be focused in on how do we get these safe uh safe families for for our foster kids and we can support those foster families out there so we'll be coming back on the back side of the break you're listening to 101.1 the answer Good morning, everyone. Again, Ryan Norris sitting in for Dave Elswick with uh, Deputy Director J.D. McGee, both of us from Americans for Prosperity, joined in the studio with uh, some of the leads, two of the leads for Every Child, Arkansas Governor Sanders' uh, kind of initiative that she's supporting on foster care here in the state. We have Dr. Phil Goad with us, uh, who is on the Executive Leadership Council, and we also have Jerome Strickland, who's Executive Director of the Contingent here in Arkansas. Jerome... uh, Let's start with you in this segment with, you know, give us a little bit of, uh, about the contingent and some of the facts around foster care in the state. Sure. I'll be
6: happy to. Now I'll start off by saying for all of your listeners here that the site we'll be talking about literally is everychildarkansas.org. So even as they're listening, you can go and look at it and we will help guide you through. So the contingent was formed in Portland, Oregon, actually. And some years ago, they uh, reached out to DHS in Portland and noticed that the recruitment efforts uh, there were not as high as they should be, subpar, I would say. And they noticed as a group of believers, they had an incredible ability to bring people together and mobilize community, get people to care about things that you wanted them to care about. So using their influence, uh, they worked with the DHS there, and after the first year, DHS turned over all of recruitment for the state to this group, the contingent, this outside entity. And in the space of five years, they were successful at getting 8,200 inquiries of families to be foster or adoptive families. So it was a tremendous lift. Also, a stat that i like to uh, mention is they had 32,000 volunteers raise their hand and say, look, I may not be a foster family, but like Dr. Gold mentioned earlier, I can do something. So that was a tremendous shift in the state. And lastly, uh, among many stats, uh, over 1.5 million was was donated to the effort to help these families and these kids. And when you see that type of movement, it actually caught the attention of the national government. And um, President Trump at the time sent uh, a group to go to Oregon and say what what is actually happening here mm-hmm. should it be duplicated in some way on the federal level or uh, or in other states uh, after that sort of investigation other states started to engage and have conversation mm-hmm. and the contingent said okay let's let's take our algorithm because a lot of it's digital marketing a lot of it's research mm-hmm. and continuous improvement of how you study populations and neighborhoods and counties A lot of it's uh, customer experience and what they termed radical hospitality. So engaging with people very warmly, empathetically, having people on the phone. So not just the website, but behind the site, having Mm -hmm. foster individuals ready to have a dialogue Mm -hmm. to say, you might not know where to go. I'm here to walk you through that. So having all those pieces together formed an environment uh, where they were able to optimize all their work giving those type of numbers.
1: And so you you hit on a a couple of things. You know, when we hear about foster care, the first thing that someone thinks in their mind is, okay, could I be a foster care family? Maybe not. But you say supporting, that you can also work with Every Child Arkansas to support those who are. What does that look like, supporting a foster family? Superb
6: question. Thanks for that. Because when you go to everychildarkansas.org, you can go there to experience... Uh, The media, right, as far as videos, there's things to read, there are newsletters, there's other information. But when you simply enter in your zip code, you instantly uh, have a very customized list of agencies in your zip code that can help you if you're curious about becoming a foster home or an adoptive home or if you're ready now to do that. Or there's a list of volunteer organizations in your zip code, Mm -hmm. right? So immediately you don't have to ask the question, what can I do locally? It's already there. So the great part is with just the zip code, you can get all the information you need. And with the click of the button, if you'd like to talk to someone that's live, waiting to engage, you can have that conversation and really speak to this is what describes me. Who do you think I should talk to?
3: (laughs) Dr. Goad, you brought up an excellent point before the break. You were talking about this concept, this notion of ideal placement. Could you talk a little bit more about that?
5: Sure. We we would love to have kids in an environment that's most uh, supportive and nurturing for them when they are removed from uh, their mom and dad. Mm -hmm. And, And so ultimately that would include things like, uh, being as close to the neighborhood where they were at, being able to go to the same school. Imagine uh, a child being uh, removed from their home and uh, not having not only are they not with their family anymore, but they're not with the, the people, their friends, their mm-hmm. neighbors, their playmates. They're moved away to another place around the state. And believe it or not, uh, in, in this state, we have around 40 percent of a kids – go with a relative, which is, that's a goal we have, and Mm -hmm. we're doing a pretty good job at that. But if you take that remaining number of kids, 75% are not in their county where they came Mm -hmm. out of. So not only are they out of their family, but everything familiar with them is gone for a time period. So
3: essentially, Dr. Goad, what you're saying is, you're putting, the ideal placement is putting these foster children In the best possible place they can to get the best possible services to get them on the best do the right path.
5: Yes, yeah, that's that's our ultimate goal. It could be cultural, culturally related, Uh uh, you know, with their same ethnicity. Those kinds of things that we're going to be able to work on. One of the things that Mm -hmm. excites me about what the contingent is going to be able to do in the way they study the demographics of the population of the state, the demographics of people who have been successful we're going to have very specific the ability to do very specific targeting of people that we have a need for. So that, for for example right now
1: well that we're we're going to have to come back to that on the back side of the break uh you're listening to 101.1 the answer again for, for joining us here at 101.1 the answer ryan norris filling in for dave elswick uh, along with jason mcgee Here with uh, Dr. Phil Goad and with Jerome Strickland of Every Child Arkansas, an initiative that is being supported and and led to some degree by uh, Governor Sanders uh, around the initiatives of finding foster care uh, families and finding support for foster care families. And so, you know, Jason, you were bringing up some ideas and some further questions about what ideal placement kind kind of means. You know, kick us back off again with that topic.
3: Thanks, Ryan. I, I think Dr. Go was giving us some great information, and uh, I think as of March sixth, one of the metrics he gave us, one of the stats he gave us, that there were forty-one hundred kids looking to be placed. That's a that's an alarming uh, number of folks. And uh, Jerome, under this context of ideal placement, mm-hmm. give us a little bit more. Uh, uh, introspective what that what kind of what that ideal placement uh, situation looks the best ideal placement sure
6: thanks Jason so I'll start off by describing what it feels like and then we can talk numbers so if you were a child and something happened in your household and in the middle of the night in some cases or at the day or at the end of the, in the end of your school day you're told that you'll need to go to an office and wait uh, while some things get handled <clears throat> Well, in some cases, uh, well, quite often, uh, you're taken to another neighborhood or another county, another part of the state. And think how um, disruptive that can be or traumatic even for a child to lose not only their family immediately, hopefully for a short-term period, but also their school friends, also the people with their church. Also, the people in their neighborhood, their community center, their basketball or whatever activity they do, all can be changed uh, in a heartbeat. So the the goal with ideal placement is Mm -hmm. to limit the amount of disruption for that child as the the, the state and all these agencies, all of us work to help the the family to see if it's a place where they can return. So in the short term, right, Mm -hmm. we start off with baby steps. Our ideal placement is first with kinship. Can we find someone that is a kin uh, who is appropriate and qualified and can t- taking care for the child? And if not there, then we look to keep them in the county, right? If they go outside of kinship and county, right now we're identifying that as being non-ideal. ideal. But in the future, we'd like it to be not just county but city, right. not just city but school district. I mean, mm. what would it look like if we didn't le- let a child leave our neighborhood? Wow! If a if a family in need, their kid, and we we become aware of it through the proper means, not by shaming anyone, but we become aware, we're able to temporarily take care of the child so they have the least amount of disruption. That that would be ideal,
3: right? So it's Jerome. It's it's limiting limiting that disruption, putting the kid in the best possible position uh, so that we get a, get the best outcome. You got it. 100%. Dr. Go, would you like to add in something? Yeah,
5: I would add something because I think Jerome's spot on, but I thought something the listeners might be interested in. You know, when we say kinship, uh, when we use that term, we're using primarily that they're a, a blood relative. Mm-hmm. But there's also what we call fictive kin, and that is people who already have a relationship with them. It could be a school teacher, mm. a coach, a Sunday school teacher, someone that they know already, and they have a relationship. So, if we can put place them with a fictive kin relationship, mm-hmm. with something already established, that's a step forward in helping stabilize this child's life. So um, those of listeners who are out there who become aware of a child that's struggling and they already have a relationship, there mm-hmm. is clearly a path for that family to step up and say, I'll help w- in, with that child at this time of need in their, in their mm-hmm. life. Mm-hmm. Well said. Mm-hmm. Wow.
3: That's tremendous. Now, we talked about this, this concept of ideal placement, and then you mentioned the contingent. Would you like to share a little bit more about the work of the contingent?
6: Sure. So in that, in that space, what the contingent is doing here in Arkansas is joining with other groups. So what Arkansas has that Oregon didn't have, even with those numbers, <laughs> was a group of 27-plus incredibly organized and, and passionate private entities mm-hmm. working already. So if you could imagine If we really do come together and get all the synergy of working together, the contingent is now managing the website, uh, the media pools, social media display ads, all Mm -hmm. the algorithm adjustments per county, everything, uh, what we call the air game, right? So as you all engage the website, everychildarkansas.org, or go on your Facebook or Instagram, I don't want to name all these, the social media places, You'll, you'll see and get pinged, and you'll see elements of it. And just like any other website catches your attention, like Amazon tells you, you bought this, you should buy this now, right? Just how they do that sort of work. We're doing the same thing, but to bring to your attention the needs of the children around you. And what we've seen is, what we've seen without all the help is that it works. Mm-hmm. We've never seen it with all this, these amazing groups involved. Yeah. So the sky's the limit, and we're, we're excited and prayerful mm-hmm. about it.
1: And to that point of it working, there are some areas that we were talking about in the break that we really need to focus in on, on these teens. So you were saying the 14 plus, yes. uh, you know, Dr. Goad, explain to us the unique situations that we're looking at with those, that demographic of foster kids and what can maybe be done to help get them homes.
5: Yeah. In in this state, uh, Ryan, there 30% of the children in care are age 14 and older and we all realize that that's a real gap in families who are willing to take on a teen who, that you know, they they're becoming adults, so they've got their own plans and ideas and personalities, and it's it's a challenging environment to do that. And so that that's a, a clear need and focus that we have is to find more families because a lot of families uh, volunteer; they're willing to do the young children, the newborns, the those under five years old, but a very high percentage are six and older. And as I mentioned, 30% are are, uh, over, are 14 and older in our state. And
1: so, you know, during the break, I also kind of spoke a little bit about firsthand knowledge I had of a a lady who was attempting to foster someone that was in the 14 plus category that didn't work out so well. But I think that there's additional supports that, um, you know, every child Arkansas is going to be able to bring to help families that do want to foster and you know what what kind of supports could potentially be there for them and like how would this maybe help because that's that's tough when you're thinking about a child that's already gone through childhood traumas um, you know difficulties their personality is a little bit more set than a child that's at a younger age that's a that's a big lift for a family they're asking they're asking for a little bit of disruption in their normal family dynamic and so what can we do to help those families say, hey, when you take these ch- children on, because they need families, too. We don't want a child going out there into the world that doesn't have any social network or family network support. What can we do uh, you know, through, through this initiative and this organization or maybe just as a state or just as what, how, what are the middle models we should be using as just good people wanting to improve our society?
5: Yeah, well, that's a, that's a great question, Ryan. We when we talk about it, we talk about wraparound support, and if you could visualize literally a family that's wrapped around other families and people who are are saying to them in practical ways, "We'll be in this with you," and so a lot of times that comes through churches and people who are are fellow. Uh, members of the church that they're in and churches will have a, a specific program to raise up the awareness for foster families and get people to do, do what we call respite care and that is someone who can watch a child for up to 72 hours right. you have to have a background check a driving record looked at The some very minimal mm-hmm. barrier to entry help with meals help with babysit Staff a church's parents' night out. There's mm-hmm. all kinds of things, and that's one of the things we're doing with Every Child Arkansas is providing an opportunity for people to volunteer. We call it a continuum of care. Go, I'm maybe not ready to take a child, but mm-hmm. can I go to this organization who's packing a backpack for kids who need them in the middle of the night? I could do that. So yeah. there's a step one in that direction.
1: Yeah, I love that idea because it does actually – you know, J.D. hit on this about innovation and how can we innovate. So not all the solutions are on the table even now. There's more ideas that mm-hmm. we can do in, as a community to help with supports. And, uh, and I'm really excited about this initiative. Uh, we're going to have another break coming up soon, but we want to uh, go all the way up until the 9 o'clock hour if you all are, are game for it because I want to make sure that everyone knows how to get a hold of you and, uh, and how they can help. So you're listening to the Dave Ellswick Show at 101.1 The Answer. You're back with uh, Ryan Norris and Jason McGee with Americans for Prosperity filling in for Dave Ellswick today. Uh, Just excited to have uh, Dr. Phil Goad and Jerome Strickland of Every Child Arkansas, an initiative for foster care and trying to align all of the the community leaders, the government leaders. and all the resources that will help us find and expand more on the number of foster care families, but also provide those foster care families the supports that they need. And it this is a beautiful thing coming together. There's leadership, there's vision, there's buy-in from top to bottom. So want to close, close this out. You know, uh, this hasn't been just, uh, uh, Dr. Godd, you mentioned that this is a public-private kind of partnership going on here. Explain what that is and explain some of the help
5: that is coming from the public side, from the Government side on this. Sure. Yeah, well, that's one thing that we've been really excited about. Of course, uh, Governor Sanders uh, issued a an executive order related to foster care and adoption uh, just on the 28th of February that we we're very excited about. And ordering, uh, really, all of us together, we're part of that order along with three of the state's departments to develop a plan for foster care for the state of Arkansas. So we're excited about that. So we have that level of support. We've been working really from day one with Misha Martin and her executive team at the Division of Children and Family Services and have had tremendous support with these folks. And Over the years, I've gotten to know a number of the folks that work in in DCFS, and uh, they are committed, hardworking people who've said, Mm -hmm. I'm going to make my career helping in children's and families. We would not be here without the support of the DCFS and the Department of Human Services and their willingness to to partner with the private sector here in our state, the private sector from mm-hmm. Oregon, of uh, mm-hmm. very substantial investments in this together uh, here in our state.
1: So, you know, going back to that idea that I mentioned previously, that the silos, not one entity, not one group can solve for all these problems. But when you bring, you know, community, government, business, and education together, that creates that nexus mm-hmm. that that really can improve the solution to be impactful and achieve its outcome, its intended outcome. A lot of times the good intention never gets beyond the good intention. And so I love that you're setting into Uh, place a system that brings all of the relevant stakeholders uh, here into the state uh, together. It's going to align resources, which means that as a taxpayer, that's also going to improve the efficiency. This is going to create better, uh, well-adjusted children that are going to be able to go out into the workforce, be able to create families of their own, create, you know, stability for the communities that we have. There's such a connection between, and I've learned this from Paul Chapman, between incarceration and foster care that this is a great opportunity to disrupt that.
5: That's, that's exactly so right. So true. Exactly right, Ryan. And
6: so I'll, I'll go ahead, I was try. just going to say, to, to Dr. Cole's point, and DCFS and team have set the stage five years ago. The, the kinship placement was 15%, and now they, they got it up to 40 yeah. And in the spirit of innovation, looking at other entities that could bring in the state to help, I mean all of that work has 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 i think led to this moment, so I just want to echo that that appreciation that's good leadership
1: you know as state director for Americans of prosperity, I'm usually a little hesitant to brag on the good work that the government's <laughs> doing, but what government is doing in this instance is really attempting to hand off the responsibility as much as possible to solving the solution to the community. This is a small government opportunity. This is where government is saying, hey, we know where we're at and what we can do, but if we hand this off correctly, we will become less and less relevant and needed in this space over time.
5: Yes, I, I agree. And, I, and I'd be remiss to say, too, that I've been able to see uh, – I'm, I'm on the Board of Directors for the Christian Alliance for Orphans, or CAFO, which is a national award. And I've been able to see uh, around the country and see here in this state, really, I believe, God changing the hearts of people to, mm. to get beyond our, our weaknesses and our differences and say, for this cause, let's all come together. Amen. And it's happening in a very powerful way right here in Arkansas.
1: Loving that. So what are the next steps uh, in this process? I know we've got the executive orders kicked off. Uh, you're up and running. But what, what do we need to expect next, and how can we all help? Everychildarchasite.org. There
6: you go. <laughs> the end all, be all. Yeah, exactly. You can go there right now,
5: and before we even leave this building, you could be signed up, and you're going to get a call from an actual real human being who's a foster mom herself, and she's going to yeah. help you. Walk through the process of getting plugged in, and we are. Uh, we met yesterday with our executive leadership council. We have very specific working groups taking on the specific components of this more than enough vision I told you, uh, and what's laid out in the executive order. We're we're working together with the three departments of of, of human services, of education, and public safety. And then to Every Child Arkansas to develop a plan for the state mm-hmm. to fill these gaps. And so we're right in the middle of that. That's what's next. And as Jerome mentioned, there's plenty of ways to help, like right now.
1: See, and that's wonderful. And if you have ideas about how you can help or how your church or your organization can help support Every Child Arkansas, again, that's everychildarkansas.org. You know, everybody, if we all do a little bit, you know, many hands make light work. Uh, we can solve for 4,100 kids yes. that are in this state that do not have families right now. If that if that doesn't pretend a problem mm. uh, that we can forestall in the future, that we can disrupt in the future, I don't know what does. So, uh, you know, let's all work together on this and, and help find these kids' placements. You know, loneliness, it can cause people to do desperate things, and we need to, to step up. And help these children that can 't help themselves uh, here here in our state, and glad to have uh, Dr. Goad and Jerome Strickland working on that alongside such a great team that's on uh, you know, on this committee and, and being a part of uh, every Child Arkansas so JD, any other thoughts that you have there?
3: I think you uh, kind of gave us a perfect recap of uh, where we stand today, where we stood with the numbers with uh, Uh, purpose of ideal placement and the work that you guys are doing and uh, I'm really excited to hear about that uh, getting that placement back with those family members Uh, getting that placement and working together and one of the other things that kind of stands out to me is that everybody everyone listening to the sound of our voices can have an impact by going to everychildarkansas.org and getting involved and if you can't foster a child you can support those who do and get involved in this uh in this in this in this mission work
5: that's exactly that's right. perfect that and that. i want to thank you guys for letting us have a platform to tell the good news it's Amen. exciting <laughs> well i know that
1: uh that dave's excited about this topic and uh that he'll he'll have you back soon uh coming up on the nine o'clock hour jd's going to be sitting in for a little bit by himself while i step away for some business but uh, i'll be joining you back This is uh, Ryan Norris with Americans for Prosperity alongside J.D. McGee, and we're filling in for Dave Elzeck here on the 101.1 FM, The Answer.
3: We are back, folks. This is Dave Ellswick's show 101, The Answer. You've heard a great show thus far. We've kind of done a recap on several important uh, issues facing our state. Next, we have State Representative David Ray. David, are you on with us? I'm here, Jason. Good morning. Good morning, my friend. How are you doing today?
7: I am doing great. We, uh, the Fridays, the legislature does, doesn't meet, and so um, I get to catch up on the thousands of emails that I get throughout <laughs> the week uh, and reply to people.
3: David, thank you for all the work that you are doing for the folks of Arkansas in the legislature. Give us a couple of uh, highlights of, of the work that you're doing and, and highlights of the, of the work that's going on this week in the legislature
7: yeah there's there's no shortage of things going on um I'll tell you what I've been mostly focused on the last week or so and that is um, my house bill fifteen ten mm-hmm. this is the special this is the special election reform bill yep and um, what the bill does is it standardizes the election calendar for local measures and questions mm-hmm. so I'm sure people have seen you know elections where they're asked to approve a a local sales tax or a bond issue or a property tax increase for a library or something, those issues, what my bill would do is it would require those issues to be put on two dates each year, one of two dates each year, that are predictable and consistent for voters, Mm -hmm. those being the primary and the general election, right? Because what we have currently is a system where local governments routinely use these special elections you know, like ones in the middle of February, like we had a couple of weeks ago, or in the middle of August when everybody's on vacation, they they put these things on special dates held at irregular times, and they use it to increase taxes on our citizens. And that is, in my opinion, part of a deliberate strategy aimed at keeping turnout low, to try and sort of sneak these things through. Mm. So. So that's what my bill would fix, and there's a lot of benefits to doing that. Number one, you'd be—it would help keep taxes low, right? Obviously, it's much harder to sneak things past people when they actually know when the election's going to be held, right? Um, but also, it's just gonna—it's a good government bill, right? It's going to increase voter participation. Some of these special elections just have an embarrassingly low turnout. Um, like the one three weeks ago on Valentine's day in North Little Rock, Mm. you you got a city, you got a city of 70,000 plus people and 2,100 people show up to vote. The voter turnout was 3.8%. Oh no. And so we don't need to be making permanent decisions to raise people's taxes when 3% of people are turning out. That's just a bad idea. Yeah. Um, yeah. And it's also going to save a bunch of money not having to have all these extraneous elections.
3: Right. And, David, it sounds like, Representative Ray, it sounds like you're going to expand more liberty to more folks to make those critical financial decisions uh, either in a general election or a primary election uh, and not in that special election, not in an election where a few people are going to vote. And as you just alluded to, 3% of the folks are going to make uh, a, a huge financial decision for the ninety-seven percent because it's at some inopportune time uh, that this uh, this thing is kind of being snuck in.
7: Right, and and how it will typically play out is the 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 government entity that puts it on the special date.
4: Mm-hmm.
7: You know, they'll they'll do that to draw, to try try and not draw a lot of attention to the issue, and so. <laughs> Of of the three percent or five percent or whatever that turns out, you got a disproportionate amount of people, whether they're government employees or, or teachers' unions or whoever, mm-hmm. who have, have you know stand to directly benefit from the proposal, right? And one of the really interesting things about this uh, topic is, I know you are familiar with the folks at the Arkansas Center for Research and Economics at UCA. Right. They've done a lot of research on how special elections impact um, the passage rate on mm-hmm. taxes. Well, let me just tell you real quickly what they found. Okay. We have had 1,004 local sales tax elections since 1981. 1981 was when local option sales tax was first authorized. Mm-hmm. And out of those 1,004 elections, 82% of them were held on a special date. Not the primary date, not the general date. Now, why do you think local governments, four out of five times, would choose to hold the election on a special date? It all comes down to the pass rate. Mm. When, when they're held on a special date, they pass at 76%, so more than three out of four pass. But if you hold them on the primary date, the data shows they only pass at a 57% rate. And if you hold them on the general election date, they only pass at a 44% rate. So that's a huge difference. Um, And I know you know this, JD, Mm -hmm. but Arkansas's combined state and local sales tax is 9.47%. Now if that sounds high to people, Mm -hmm. it's because it is high. It's the third highest in the entire country. Wow. And if you ask me, we are never going to get our sales tax problem under control until we get our special election problem fixed.
3: So, this, so uh, Representative Ray, this is an issue of good governance leading to uh, to to lowering some of those taxes. And, and you kind of this is you, you kind of identified a, a niche here that uh, has been utilized. Uh, I think you said uh, since 1981, we've had a thousand and four elections, right?
7: On, on local option on, sales tax. On local yeah.
3: option sales taxes, and so this has become a, a, a predictive uh, manner for for those lo- those those entities to kind of get this uh, tax rate passed and just slide it in on this special day. And we've got a you know seventy six percent chance of passing it uh, on this special day versus uh, the general. I think you said what was what, 44%? forty four percent.
7: Forty four. That's right. Yeah.
3: Yeah. Yeah. So. You're, you're closing a, a niche here. You're closing a window here that's been used to kind of what overtax folks, right?
7: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, here's what the formula typically looks like. They want to pass a tax increase. People are worried that it won't be approved. Mm-hmm. So they put it on the special date, and then the people who directly stand to benefit from it, they turn out in force. Most people, the average citizen – Folks who are just trying to go to work, um, provide for their family, yeah. take their kids to t-ball practice or gymnastics practice—they um, don't ever hear that there's going to be election, an election on you know July 23rd or whatever—and <laughs> and and then they and then they obviously don't turn out right, and yeah. so that's how it that's how it flies through. So, in um, essence,
3: this Representative Ray, this is an empowerment piece. This is an empowerment piece to make. Uh so that folks can have the best opportunity to make a decision on either general or primary about those critical issues facing our state.
7: Absolutely. And you would think, you would think, boy, well, you know, what these guys are talking about doesn't sound all that controversial. Yeah. Um, It's not controversial if you just talk to normal people, right? Right. (laughs) If you just talk to, if you just talk to taxpayers and you talk to voters they love this idea, mm-hmm. but let me tell you, there's a lot of people who don't love it, and those people are those who directly benefit from the status quo.
4: Mm. So,
7: unfortunately, there's a lot of there's a lot of elected officials who enjoy having the ability to sneak these things through. Mm. Um, and you know, I serve in the legislature. There are a lot of legislators who are very. Um, they're very much influenced by what other local elected officials tell them or ask them to do, right? Mm-hmm. And so they're hesitant to make this change. Um, so that's a big part of the pushback. but I'll tell you, um, the bill right now has passed out of the state house.
4: Mm-hmm.
7: We, get, we got seventy four votes for this on the House floor wow which which is a huge increase. I mean, we tried this two years ago. And the bill failed with forty-six votes. So it just narrowly failed last time. Uh, we got it out of the House this time, and now it's over on the Senate side. And just yesterday, we passed it out of the Senate State Agencies Committee, and it passed by one vote. Awesome. So it'll be um, it'll be up for the full Senate to consider early next week, and um, we're so we're closer than we've ever been to getting this done and I will tell you people have been working on this a long time Jason Um, back in 2013 10 years ago a decade ago a former Mm -hmm. state representative Alan Kerr from West Little Rock took up this cause and tried to get this bill passed and since that time a whole host of people have worked on this Um, former representative Andy Davis from West Little Rock champion this cause, Mm -hmm. Um, former representative Nate Bell from MENA worked on this, Um, my current colleague, uh, representative Justin Gonzalez, uh, he has worked on this, so we have have tried to pass this Mm -hmm. for at least the last decade, Um, but the special interests have always uh, ended up winning out, and I think this time we're going to be successful, we'll find out early next week.
3: Representative Ray, why is this moment uh, you think the most opportune, the best possible to to get this legislation passed, when so many others have have not been able to do it? Why do you think it's it's catching uh, it's catching up with so many people during this season?
7: Well, I think the legislature has gradually gotten more conservative mm-hmm. uh, each 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 session for the last ten years, and um, you know, we've gotten to a point where um, we've been talking about this issue for so long. Mm-hmm. We've been educating people on the effects of these special elections. You know, people like I, look. I think it was a game changer when Acre, the University, the uh, Arkansas Center for Research and Economics, when they came in with this with this research and this data showing. You because know, it's one thing to tell people anecdotally, "Hey, these special, special elections—they're leading to higher taxes." Uh, it's one thing to show people a couple of examples. Right. It's another—it's th- another thing to show them data and research and say, "Look, I know you have concerns, but here's an analysis of over a thousand elections mm. and how that's played out." I think when you show people that research and that evidence. That really changes some minds, and um, so they've been instrumental in this process. Um, there's a there's a bunch of people who've had a hand in this.
3: That is awesome, and it sounds like uh, we're on the cusp of getting some good change there, some good governance, and restoring a little bit of liberty of folks to make the their own decisions for the issues impacting uh, their lives. Uh, Representative Ray, we're coming up on a break. Everyone, we're here with State Representative David Ray, and we'll be back in just a moment. You're listening to 101 The Answer. quick show 101 The Answer with State Representative David Ray. Representative Ray, are you back with us? I'm here. Back at it. Thank you, my friend. So we've been talking special election reform, and I know there's some other legislative items, uh, tax reform and other items you may want to bring up and kind of let folks know Uh, where they stand. So I'm going to turn it over to you, sir. Yeah,
7: absolutely. Well, um, folks who know me know that I'm um, a big proponent of taxpayer rights, Mm -hmm. of lowering taxes on hardworking Arkansans. Look, I kind of start from the basic premise that our state government, for far too long, has taxed too much and spent too much. And I don't think that's a particularly controversial thing to say. Um, and I also just believe that, you know, in, in general, um, once government has provided for a basic core set of services, Mm -hmm. um, individuals and families know best how to spend their hard-earned money. Mm -hmm. Um, certainly, certainly much more so than, than politicians or government bureaucrats. So that's, that's sort of where I start from. And. Uh, a couple of pieces of legislation that I've already passed into law this session. Um, one of them is a bill to prohibit local income taxes so okay um, let me tell you a little bit about that okay. thankfully we don't ha- thankfully we don't have any local income taxes in Arkansas currently, but there are seventeen states around the country that do have local income taxes mm. and um a lot of these are Rust Belt states or northeastern states, but, but you've literally got about 4,500 local jurisdictions, mostly cities and counties,
4: mm-hmm.
7: that le- that levy local income taxes. And, you know, we've done a lot of hard work over the last eight years to lower our state income tax rate from 7% down to 4.9%. Yeah. And the last thing that we need is to see that progress rolled back by having local taxes on income, uh let you know that 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 burden backfield on the local end so i passed that bill to just nip it in the bud prohibit that from from coming to arkansas
4: mm-hmm.
7: that's one one thing that's gone through this session another thing i did was a leg- piece of legislation dealing with um advertising and promotion taxes um these are the, so this is sometimes called the hamburger tax yeah You see it on your – you pay it on on prepared food, Mm -hmm. so at restaurants, as well as on lodging. And that is actually one of the only taxes that you can do at the local level by a simple ordinance.
4: Mm. You don't
7: have to refer it – you don't have to refer it to voters for approval. And I think that whenever possible – uh, folks ought to be able to consent when their taxes are going to be raised. Mm-hmm. So my le- my legislation just required that any advertising and promotion tax be approved by the voters of that city before it goes into effect. And if the voters don't approve it, it doesn't go into effect. Wow! Um, so that has uh, that's passed the House and the Senate. Governor Sanders signed that into law. So that is now the the law of the land in Arkansas. Um,
3: so, Representative Ray, let, yeah. let, let me chime in here. It sounds like you're you're, you're looking at mm-hmm. not
7: not on the side of making it easier for, or more convenient for government to raise taxes, right?
3: Exactly. That's um, good stuff. So, and, you know, we'll
7: see. We'll probably consider some tax cut legislation at mm-hmm. the end of this session.
4: Yeah.
7: Um, I have several bills that I've filed in that regard. Um, you know, I'm a big proponent of lowering income taxes. Right. Right. Uh, the, the reason for that is, is simple. You know, nobody likes to pay any taxes, right? But we have to have some taxes for government to, to function and provide for services. But there's some taxes that are more economically damaging than others. Mm-hmm. And, and income taxes uh, you know most economists will tell you income taxes are the most damaging economically speaking, and the reason for that is because right like every tax either incentivizes or disincentivizes something.
4: Mm-hmm.
7: Well, if you think about what what income taxes disincentivize, they penalize work and labor and productivity right. um, and job creation. You know, these are all things that we want more of in society, not less of, right? Mm -hmm. And so um, that's the main reason that that I've chosen to attack the income tax as my area of focus. And if you look around the country, the states that don't have an income tax, states like Texas and Tennessee, um, they are the states that are, uh, and Florida, they are the states that are primarily attracting new movers, Mm -hmm. their economies are growing, Um, and and this is a trend. There's a bunch of other states like Arizona, North Carolina, Indiana, Mississippi, that are really aggressively lowering their income tax rates, trying to become that next state to get to zero.
3: Representative Ray, we've got a break coming up. Uh, Stay on the line with us as we get that tax update. Folks, you're listening to One Hundred One. Point one the answer.
4: Point one FM the
3: answer. Good morning. Good morning, folks. You're here with JD McGee on the Dave Ellswick Show 101.1 The Answer. And we're back with State Representative David Ray. David, are you back with us? I'm back. Ready to go. Hey, I just wanted to recap to the listeners uh, your House Bill 1510, uh, which would be provide some special election reform and also some of the tax reform issues that you are working on to prohibit local uh, tax increases. Uh, David has been doing an amazing job of uh, being a good steward of the. Uh, of the state government's uh, uh, tax resources while also looking at making sure we look for ways to lower uh, tax taxes, which uh, kind of provides a little more money in our pockets, right, uh, Representative Ray?
7: Absolutely. That's right. I appreciate you appreciate you saying that.
3: Representative Ray, give us a little bit more about uh, uh, the legislation that uh, you're working on and stuff that you're interested in.
7: Well, I've got a lot of um, a lot of bills going this legislative session. Um, we can, you tell me what you want to talk about. We've got uh, we got this esports bill that I've been working on. Oh
3: yeah, that's a big. One. Um, Let's talk about. the You e-sports. want to talk about that one? Yeah.
7: Yeah. So, <clears throat> esports is um, basically the world of competitive video games, right? Mm-hmm. So this is not something that. Um, a lot of your older listeners may be familiar with, but it's something that it's something that's, uh, that's growing in popularity. Um, yeah. tremendously. eSports nationwide last year mm-hmm. was about a 1.2 billion dollar industry. And just to kind of demonstrate how popular it's becoming, we currently have over 80 high schools in Arkansas that have competitive eSports teams. And we have, we have at least six colleges in Arkansas that offer esports scholarships. So wow. this is this is becoming more and more popular, and not just at the school level. It's becoming popular in sort of mainstream culture. And now they mm-hmm. have esports. Tur- you know, now now they have esports tournaments yeah. where pe- people will gather. Uh, regionally or, or even nationally, they'll have competitions where they'll come in and and they'll gather in an arena like uh, Simmons Bank Arena or whatever, yeah. and and they'll have weekend long competitions. Um, mm-hmm. That's that's obviously a big deal because you got people traveling to your state; they're spending money to stay in your hotels, economic impact. Uh, yep, yeah. they're they're eating at your restaurants, and and that it helps with tourism. Um, but what my legislation does is it just provides some clarity in the law mm-hmm. to ensure that these people can do the type of activity that they want to do, right? So what my bill does is it clarifies that an e- a paid esports tournament does not constitute gambling, right? And when you think about when you think about an e- what, what is a paid esports tournament, you know, think of it kind of like a fishing tournament. Right. You you pay an, a contestant would pay an entry fee and then they compete against somebody else, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, to win to win either cash or prizes. And um, the reason that that's obviously distinct from gambling is because when you're gambling, you're wagering money to win money, and the outcome is determined basically by chance, right? When you buy a lottery ticket or you play a slot machine. There's really not much you can do to increase your odds of winning. It just is—you either win or you lose, and it's determined by chance. But in esports, these are these are actual competitions where um, people train, they practice, and the outcome is going to be determined by the relative knowledge and skill of the competitor, right? Mm-hmm. And so, um, that's what the bill would do is clarify that. Uh, this bill's passed through the House. Uh, It's passed through the Senate committee, and the Senate will be considering it um, early next week as well. So um, that's something I've been working on.
3: Representative Gray, can I I chime in on this bill for just a moment? Uh, I believe I was over at the state capitol for the Gamers Day at the capitol, uh, and you spoke there about this bill, and I think there were over 100 uh, folks uh, 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 youth and, and college age kids that had come out for that event, uh, which may have been uh, probably the first gamer day at the Capitol, uh, where I saw you know kids and and in, in college and 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 you had screens set up and they were in this competitive competitive game gaming type of uh, 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 situation all across the Capitol. And I I heard you speak about uh, your legislation, and I thought that was pretty. Uh, Pretty awesome to have the state capital kind of rotunda kind of transformed and, and seeing folks game at that level, which is probably the, I, I'm going to venture to say it was the first time that's ever happened.
7: <laughs> yeah, I, I think you I think you're probably right on that. Uh, and look, I'm I am personally I'm not much of a gamer. Mm-hmm. Um, this is not an issue that I really expected to be working on, mm-hmm. um, but i do think it's very important for this reason right everybody that runs for office what republican democrat whatever one thing that everybody says when they run for office is they say hey i want to grow jobs i want to grow our economy mm-hmm. i want to i want to grow the ec, you know economic impact and, and so we all say those things right yeah but what this bill does is it sends a signal to new and emerging industries that Arkansas is open for business. Yes. We want people to bring their business here. We want people to come here and spend their money. Um, and, and so it's important that we, that we are reactive and welcoming to new and emerging industries. Mm-hmm. Obviously we're appropriate. Um, and so, that's why that's why I'm really glad that I've gotten the opportunity to work on this bill, and it is going to benefit Arkansas business owners. You know, I've I've uh, been a part of events with Americans for Prosperity that right. y'all have hosted yep. um, in in central Arkansas and elsewhere, um, where there there are businesses that tailor to this industry,
3: mm-hmm.
7: and um, they're going to benefit from this legislation. So. Um, it's it's a good thing all around, I think.
3: Representative Bray, I think in the very short future, you know, with this, when this bill uh, finally passes, and uh, it's gonna, we're gonna see the fruit of of your efforts, and uh, we'll probably walk into some arena one day, and there'll be a, a couple hundred or a couple thousand folks who come in for for a competition in this esports arena. Uh, in this esports area and that's that can be directly attributed to this uh to this legislation and that's gonna provide some uh, as you just alluded to some critical economic uh dollars for 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 those folks who are hosting those type of uh and for the state and for uh local local uh local governments as well.
7: Absolutely and for the competitors.
3: And the for who the are, competitors. Who them. Yep, and it will not be considered gambling. Because it will be part of this this uh, esports uh, competition that's uh, happening all over the country, uh, right? And, uh, it,
4: it, yeah.
7: it, and it's important to make that distinction, right? Because mm-hmm. we have a lot of you know people may there's some people who didn't understand initially why was what was the purpose of the bill? Why do we need a bill to allow for this? And I said, look, we have a lot of statutes on the books, and rightly so regarding mm-hmm. illegal gambling, right? And it, that is an industry that's highly regulated um, for good reason, and they have strict rules they got to abide by. Um, but uh, there are criminal penalties for people who break those rules. Mm-hmm. And the way the statutes are written they are they they are intentionally broad so that um, you know they're, they're, it, it doesn't allow people to just, change the name of a game and then say oh we changed the name it's not gambling anymore mm-hmm. so we wanted we wanted to specifically go in and clarify what this is and what it is not so that um, people have the the clarity and the certainty under the law to know that what they're doing is going to be
3: allowed yeah yeah I think that's uh I think that's a tremendous effort and it's also moving into this Creative, innovative uh, space that's going to allow uh, folks to come into Arkansas, and for us to uh, benefit economically, and for those those competitive gamers, those competitive folks who are participating in the, in, the, um, in, in the competition, uh, to also take some benefits. And like I said, uh, the Gamer Day at the Capitol, the AFP Gamer Day at the Capitol, uh, over a hundred folks, uh, youth there participating. It did not register to me until I walked into the rotunda and saw gaming systems set up all around the rotunda. And uh, I got a chance to walk around and interact with folks and see their level of of, of, of competition. And uh, I, I remember there was a group up from SAU and a group up from Arkansas Baptist, and they were playing Madden against each other. Uh, and uh, just a lot of uh, efforts of, of of our young folks um, in competition level, so we appreciate your work, and we appreciate the continued efforts uh, on this piece of uh, legislation. and uh, is, there, is there another piece of uh, legislation you find interesting or want to uh, highlight today on this, on the show?
7: Well, yeah, I'll tell you about one that has that has gone through um, already. And become law, but it doesn't get a lot of attention. But it's very important. It mm-hmm. deals with ballot, the ballot title process. Okay. Um, this is this is dealing with initiatives. So think about it this way: every year when you go to the ballot, there are um, there are some issues that are put before you. Usually, they're proposed constitutional amendments.
4: Mm-hmm.
7: So think back to last time we had the recreational marijuana one. That one got probably got the most attention. Um, the, the title of the ballot that that you see on your ballot, the wording of that title is extremely important. Okay. Mm -hmm. It's extremely important because if it's not worded correctly, it can be vague or ambiguous. It can be deceptive. It can be misleading. Um, it can be confusing to voters Uh if it's not worded, if it's not worded appropriately. And everybody benefits from clear and concise wording on these ballot titles so that we know what we're voting on. You don't want to cast a yes when you mean to cast a no, or you don't want to cast a no when you mean to cast a yes. That doesn't benefit anybody. And for about 65 years in Arkansas, we had a process for ballot review, a ballot title review, And it was housed at the AG's office Mm -hmm. and the attorney, the attorney general um, would review these ballot titles. They have, you know, it's the attorney general's office for people who don't know is a huge law firm. It's the largest law firm in the state. And they've got, they've got about a hundred attorneys over there and they have attorneys with expertise to review these ballot titles. And they determine whether the title is legally sufficient. And, you have to do that before you go out and gather all the signatures for the petitions, right? Um, that process was changed in 2019, and it was moved over to the State Board of Election Commissioners.
3: Representative, and, Gray, let's we're uh, on a, we're on the cusp of taking a break here, and this is some okay. important information. And let's just put a pin right here for just a moment as we uh, we'll come back. And uh, this is some really critical stuff. We're here. You're listening to 101. The Answer. We're here with State Representative David Ray. The Answer. Good morning. Good morning, folks. And we are back. You're listening to 101.1, The Answer. We're here with Ray. Uh, state representative state representative David Ray representative Ray, are you all back with us?
7: I'm back, yep, we were talking about ballot title review.
3: yes, you were talking about ballot title uh review, and one thing that stood out to me was the uh clear and concise ballot language It sounds like you were talking about. It. just give us a recap of that,
7: yeah, absolutely, so as I was saying. This process of reviewing ballot titles to make sure they're not uh, deceptive or confusing or misleading, it had been housed at the AG's office for for a little over 60 years. And in 2019, the legislature moved it to the State Board of Election Commissioners. Mm -hmm. Well, that sounded like an okay idea at the time, but the problem is last year the state Supreme Court struck that process down and said, It was unconstitutional to have it with the State Board of Election Commissioners. So what that means in practice is that currently, well, actually it's been fixed now, but before my bill passed, there was no state entity that had the ability to review ballot titles to ensure they're legally sufficient, and that's obviously problematic because if you don't have a review process of these ballot titles, you're going to get ballot titles that are wildly confusing and Mm -hmm. deceptive and misleading people won't know what they're voting on they'll you know they'll be casting a yes and it'll thinking they're voting no and all sorts of things so basically what we did was we just reinstituted that review process at the ag's office Mm. and that's that's something that doesn't get a lot of headlines right Right. it's not one of these flashy bills but um it's really important that we have that oversight process in place
3: Exactly, exactly. And it seems like you kind of found a good niche, a good space here to be in as far as uh, protecting uh, the hardworking uh, taxpayers' dollars and then also looking at uh, uh, these election uh, items, these election issues with uh, how ballot titles are, on the language is listed and also kind of prohibiting, um, you know, local. Additional local taxes on folks, so you you kind of found yourself in a space where you're protecting the, uh, the the everyday Arkansan who's going to work, who's working hard, and uh, trying to keep more of their uh, hard-earned money.
7: Yeah, that's right. those Those are those are things that I'm really passionate about. Um, but obviously, there's a lot more
3: issues that are
7: that are important. Mm-hmm. Um, we've spent. We've, I don't know if y'all talked about the the Governor's Learns Act this this morning or not but we spent a lot of time Mm -hmm. discussing and and debating that bill throughout the session i was i was proud to be a co-sponsor of that
3: yeah
7: Um, that's good that's going to be a game changer Mm -hmm. in our state's education system you know it's gonna it's gonna really equip parents with the ability to choose an education that's best for, for their individual child you know i've always believed that parents not the government ought to choose where and how their children are educated. Exactly. Um, and that's a big component of that bill, but um, we're also raising teacher pay significantly. You know that's an area where we've lagged behind. Mm-hmm. We've been in the bottom we've been in the bottom five nationwide for starting teacher pay for for many many years, and now we're actually at, with the passage of the Learns Act, we'll be in the top five states in the country for that's, starting teacher pay.
3: That's awesome and i've heard that so as, as much as uh, on that teacher pay uh uh item that uh it's it can it's been as low as 36,000 and and so those folks who've been in that range will see an increase of up to up to 50,000 right is that we
7: Yeah, that's right. That's right. Absolutely. And and look this is important because it is it, it is, you're seeing in areas across the state and across the country mm-hmm. teacher shortages, right? You, not enough people entering into the teaching profession, and you know part of the reason for that is because of the pay. Exactly. Um, you you gotta you know it, it, just as in many areas of life, you get what you pay for.
4: Exactly. and
7: we, and we gotta be competitive on on in this area, so that's uh, that's a big deal. I really appreciate the governor and her leadership in this area. You know, she said she wants to be known as the education governor. Mm-hmm. And man, I can't think of many areas that that really need more work and attention than education. It's just really important. You know, I've got I got a 3-year-old and a 5-year-old and so it really hits home for me.
3: And Representative Ray, there there's a critical literacy component in that bill, right?
7: Yeah, it is. We're going to hire, I believe, 120 literacy coaches, mm-hmm. um, and and they're going to be sort of dispatched to critical areas of the state mm-hmm. to help with um, areas that are really struggling in learning. And that's so important, right? Because you know, once you, in order to, in order to learn, the first thing you have to learn is to read. Because once okay. you once you learn to read, then you read to learn. Mm. It's 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 literally the key that unlocks everything else, and we sort of take it for granted. But I mean, we shouldn't. We have a we have a literacy crisis on our hands. Um, I don't have all the statistics in front of me, but it's basically about a third. Only about a third of our students are reading at grade level in Arkansas, and. That, wow. That's just that's just unacceptable. I mean, it's it's truly unacceptable. It's it's a crisis, and we need to be laser focused on how to fix it. Uh, I think what the governor is doing in this bill is a, a very very positive step in the right direction.
3: Totally agree. As as we're nearing the top of the hour of the show, and uh, this call to action, what would you what would your call to action be for people who are keeping uh watch over the legislative legislation that's coming up uh and over the legislative processes who wants who want more uh who want government to work more for them
7: well i'll tell you um this uh this issue that we spent the first part of the show talking about Mm -hmm. on special elections that bill is not across the finish line yet you know um it's in the senate early next week so if that's something that if you heard me talk about that and you agree, you know, we need to get these special elections under control so that, pe- you know, local governments aren't sneaking through tax increases on random dates, mm-hmm. um, you know, reach out to your senator, send him an email, send them a text, give them a call over the weekend. They get plenty of calls, but one more is not going to hurt them and, <laughs> and <laughs> let them let them know you want this bill to pass because this is the last step in the process and if we can get it across the finish line, I know Governor Sanders will sign it and that'll be a good, good thing for the voters of the state and for the taxpayers of the state.
3: We've been here with uh, our friend, uh, State Representative David Ray. He's outlined a few issues for us and told us how we can stay involved with what's going on in the Arkansas Legislature. Thank you, my friend, David, State Representative David Ray. Have a good one, and we'll be back soon. You're listening to 101.1 The Answer.